Welcome to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Welcome to the interview series on the Retail Exchange Podcast with me, Carl McKeever. Our guest today is Dr. Carsten Keller, VP Director Consumer at Zalando. Founded in 2008, today the German fashion retailer has more than 48 million active users and operates in 23 European markets. Zalando's success has come from taking a local approach, and the retail giant continues to prioritize investment into its customer experience. But with more and more brands continuing to gear their processes to -to direct-to-consumer models, the platform has also seen a boom in brand collaborations. Carsten explains how Zalando is supporting brands' DTC ambitions, what the future will look like for platforms, what he believes will drive the next phase of hyper-growth in retail, and why progress, not perfection, is more crucial than ever. Here's the interview. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Dr. Carsten Keller from online platform Zalando. Hey, Carl. Thanks for having me. Welcome. No, it's great. It's great to have you here. Um, Look, I've got so many questions I want to put to you today, but I suppose we should really start at the basics. Tell us about Zalando. What, it, what is it? What do you do? So um, my job title is Vice President for Direct-to-Consumer, and that is always a bit confusing to the people because Zalando, by definition, is direct-to-consumer, so we are selling direct-to-consumer. And um, the background to my job title is that at some point in 2015-16, we invited all the participants of the industry to the platform to sell direct to consumers. So what I'm doing is I help partners like brands and retailers to essentially sell on our platform. And in my part of the business, specifically, I take care of brands and retailers with their stores to sell towards our customers. That is what I'm doing. So when you think about physical or online retail, What does that really mean to you? And how do we really kind of reconnect with consumers, I guess, which is what it's all about? Yeah, I mean, very good question. And I think we've been talking a lot about the like interplay between online and offline. And that the word interplay comes with this. I think this is absolutely gorgeous because this is how we also think about it. So the two worlds are coming together. They are not online versus offline anymore. I think that was the perception maybe kind of two years ago. But it is all about like how do we bring the two worlds together uh, together for the better of the customer. And I think there, if you take the two channels online, like being like you can always access it on a Sunday uh, evening on your couch, you have full visibility of what's all there. You've got all the great uh, availability of product, um, and it's a great channel, actually very convenient for you as a customer. But then you've got the stores that actually are physical. You can visit them, you can bring friends, you can have a good time there, you will feel the product. Um, You've got people, human beings that give you advice. So they bring also quite a lot to the table. And it has been a misconception in the past that these couldn't go along. They must go along. So so in fact, rather than looking at them as two separate things, in fact, should be complementary and coexist very well together. Totally. I mean, think about a world where everything is integrated. How we experience, for example, in China, where you have new retail. So their online and offline are fully integrated. And of course, their live streaming also plays a very big part of e-commerce. Absolutely. So I think they've found their way. And it's first of all that you can access everything that is in the store from your place on the couch. But on the other side, you can also know where in the real world will I find the item I like. And then I can go and click and collect the item. 
And I can also on the side show my friends via live shopping, for example, how actually everything works. Or I can interact with the shop assistant beforehand via my phone. And if I like that person and the stuff that they have in their store, I can come by. Mm. And there's so many more things that you could do about this when the, when the channels are actually fully integrated. And mm. I think the, the last thing I want to say for this is if you listen to conferences 10 years ago, probably we said something like this with similar words, like seamless journeys, but it never ever came to life. No? So it was still very separate. You had like funky things in stores like iPads and magic mirrors, but it didn't work. And I think now we're in a position that we, that we can make it work. And what has been the difference then, or what has been that magical spark that actually been able to bring that oh. uh, unification almost of that connectivity? Absolutely. I think the, um, the funny answer to this is that it is more the basic things that were missing in the old world, like in the world where we talked omni-channel and it didn't work. And the basic things are simply the, um, the inventory, which was sitting in warehouses and in stores, and maybe even in trucks, were not connected towards the places where you could buy them. Right. So the store at the high street didn't know that there was an online warehouse that still had availability of that trouser. The online customer couldn't see that there's a store that still has it. Everybody was sitting on their stockpile. Yes, so um, they're kind of a lot of silos almost. Totally, yes. And now kind of a colleague of mine always says, let's make stock flow like water. Um, and I think he's right. No? So like, uh, if all the stock in the industry is always visible, available, shoppable for customers, I think we're doing a lot of good for the customer experience, but we're also doing a lot of good for the, for the planet because we need less stock to fulfill the same demand. And I think that's a great thing to have. Mm. And a lot of people are saying that the future is all about platforms and platforms getting better and smarter and, as I've been talking, more integrated. Yeah. How do you feel about this? Uh, I fully agree. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why. Um, I mean, if you look at what the reason was why, for example, physical stores in the past didn't do online, was not because they didn't see it coming or because they just didn't get it, but because economically it didn't work for them. So they couldn't like build a customer care center and a uh, content production center and uh, a website and all the marketing investment and so on at a scale. No? So, they so is it partly also because we've almost reached a sort of a, a critical mass now where there's enough of consumers are engaged and interested and acceptant of the technology, but also now there's generally more investment in infrastructure to support um, the technology working well. And it's more than investment, I think. So what you have is... You've got operational platforms, take Zalando for example. So we've got 48 million customers. They are served with our platform. These, uh, the, the, um, the marketing is done for, for these 48 million customers and growing. We have the technology behind it, our web shop, our customer care, our content production, our what, what have you along the entire value chain. And it's all operated. It's not that somebody invests in it, it's standing there and then we're looking for somebody who could also use it. It's there. We are using it. It's fully scaled. And now we are opening the door and say everything that is there along our customer journey is also available to you. For example, physical store owner. Mm. And that is what makes the platform so cool that you don't have, variable, uh, that you don't have fixed cost in this. You only have variable costs, so no risk. 
And, and where are the challenges? Because I guess, you know, when people talk about um, online versus physical retail, yeah. and those people that would say, well, online retail, yeah, it's all very good, but, you know, these are the problems. Clearly, there are issues around things such as the high rate of returns. Yeah. Or there are issues around um, things such as lost conversion, where people might put it in the basket, but they never actually go on to, to mm. press order. Yeah. Where, for you, are the biggest challenges still to be overcome? Yeah, that's a hard question. I mean, ultimately, if you take the profit and loss account of a transaction, um, you would clearly say what you just said, Carl, um, around returns. That is a major issue. But I think it's a brilliant example of how the platform works. So now the return problem is there. So they have to the, the carrier creates cost for the return. Now we are opening up our warehouse and say, if you retailer don't want to process the return, we can do that for you. And we can do that on a lower cost because we've got a better contract with the carrier, we've got our operations, and we can send it out with other items together for the next time. So we can take a lot of cost out of the P&L, and then essentially the whole thing gets even more attractive. So this is where you use your scale and your connectivity of the, the overall process exactly. to make it attractive for the retailer. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess with all of those kinds of initiatives that you're looking for where there are some of those uh, gaps or chinks still in the system, mm -hmm. um, this is where you can continue to drive good profitable growth. Yes, absolutely. I think this is, that's also it. No? So I think as a, as a partner, be it a brand or a retailer, ultimately you're looking for sustainable profitable growth. And sustainable is ideally is planable. So you can like plan your resources, people in the store, for example, that do the picking. But on the other hand, um, you also need the profit. And this is exactly where we said, let's build a model that is profitable as a baseline. And then we put certain services on top that for every single service, they grow the profit pool for Zalando and the partner. And from that, we can then both can increase our margin as well. Mm. And I think this is like the, the sense of partnership that this has, that we're doing this together. We also developed everything together. Um, It'll be it the technology, the tooling that they have, or the processes, we'd sat down with them and said, you know, what do you need in order to make this work? And that's the core of this partnership, that we do it together. So where are going to be the big new leaps in terms of growth and profitability? Because I guess, like any process, you will continue to refine and make it slicker and easier over time. And that will all deliver, you know, incremental percentage-based improvement. But exactly. most businesses are looking for, you know, the double digits. Yeah. You know, where is the next big growth moments, do you think? I mean, if you look at what connected retail, so our model where we connect the physical stores to our platform and then ultimately to our customers and they can sell, ultimately this is already a major leap for most of them. No? So what you see is they have their store, specifically during the pandemic there was a thing. No? So front door was closed, there were lockdowns and the back door normally would have also been closed. So what they said is, okay, I used the model, I open the back door, I pull my people back, we do the picking and packing. And then fortunately we saw that once lockdown was over, they all stayed on board because they realized, oh God damn it, this would be like 30 to 60% on top revenue on top of what my store normally does. So we can have both. You can have both. And that's perfect. And I think it's a model for the future. So this is, this is the dropship model. Order uh, achieve, uh, arrives in the store and then it's just um, then handled by the store. And then if you think about future models, you can think about also um, bringing the customer, the online customer to the store, like click and collect. We don't have that today, but that is clearly something which makes a ton of sense for everybody who's in that model. The customer, us, the partner. 
And you mentioned the words there, uh, connected retail concept. Um, could you tell us about that? Because I guess something like click and collect is going to figure quite highly in that. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, so click and collect, that was the idea that we had prepared for many years um, until 2018, where we said, okay, we now understand we could process an order in a store. We worked with a few selected stores beforehand. So we coined the model. I actually took that over. We founded it as, um, as our new business opportunity. And then with this, we build the technology and we build um, the processes in order to make it possible that an order from an online customer is forwarded to a store, like almost like to a warehouse, and the store then picks and packs the item, hands it over to the carrier. And so they rather than shipping goods over vast distances from warehouse to another city and possibly f even further, yeah. actually this can be made much more local, yeah. more sustainable, cutting down the miles, less fuel etc. No, yeah. totally spot on car. I think the uh, the localization we tested already in Berlin and we saw was that um, we did a same day delivery pilot, which normally from warehouses is almost impossible. No? So, and then uh, we just connected um, the stores in Berlin towards the platform again and said whenever an order from a Berlin-based customer comes for an item the store has, uh, our, uh, our own carrier or logistics person goes out, picks from the store and brings it on the same day to the customer. And you saw customers that were so delighted that they suddenly could get shoes like this uh, on time on the same day. So for um, other parts of the retail sector which have uh, had strong growth in, in online and, and where they've done some remarkable things, especially during the pandemic, yeah. um, the consumer always kind of almost raises the bar for people. Yeah. And what they're now looking at, certainly in the grocery sector, is hyper-rapid delivery, you know, 15 minutes from uh, order to it coming to the door. Yeah. Do you see that this could become a thing for general merchandise, for fashion, apparel, clothing, accessories, all the things that you sell? It's a very good question, Carl. I think the... Um, so my personal view is that our perception and expectations are pretty much shaped by our reality. And in Berlin, we have like a quick commerce uh, grocery provider. Um, clearly, that shapes my expectations towards deliveries. Um, I think in fashion, it's probably not important that I would have it in 12 minutes. It would be cool, but I think it's not going to be like I want it in 12 minutes. Same day, next day is a different story, I think. That is cool. So if I have a party tonight and I get it before 8 o'clock in the evening, I think I'd be happy about that. Um, and I think the other thing in fashion is, probably also for all others, you want a small window in which you need to be home and in which you have a high likelihood that you get it there. So accuracy is sometimes even more important than speed. And I think we need to find the equilibrium also. Yeah, yeah I think you're right about that, uh, certainly from a, from a fashion perspective. Uh, and I think one of the kind of things that we're all starting to feel again look when we were locked down and we had you know you know all that time at home with our families and our pets and and nothing more you could you know be happy to wait in all day for the delivery man to come and that parcel to arrive exactly now that life is returning back to normal suddenly you know getting the fulfillment right is becoming more of a headache and is my parcel with a neighbor is it in a shed or is it somewhere else so i think you're absolutely right here you know cracking the the kind of the the final 600 yards is yeah. is, is really important exactly and if like again looking a bit into the future if you could choose so I know that I'm, I don't know tomorrow when I'm at home. If I could say, okay, then I pick it up in a store which has it in my city. Perfect. No? So then I can do that. And maybe I just try it on there and it fits great or it doesn't fit. I just leave it in the store. Or I got a delivery the day earlier and I know there's a store with that stock or this item on offer. 
close by, like 500 meters. Uh, I, I think that, you know, talking to you, I think you still believe very strongly in, in physical stores. What do you think that the um, physical stores can not just be a great place for service interaction, but yeah. also are potentially, you know, the best warehouses? Um, I think under, so. Looking at the stores as warehouses would be heavily underplaying the uh, like the the capabilities of the store, and this is also when you talk to retailers. I think they very clearly articulate we are not a warehouse, and they are right because they are not on the green field. They have a front door that you could enter as a consumer. Um, they've got a very curated set of products that you can access, try on, um, and you've got people in the store that actually can give you advice all that doesn't exist in a warehouse. Mm. And I think with that in mind, I think we need to, in this idea of new retail, I think we really need to work out like what, how can we bring the capabilities of online and offline? So for example, as I just said, how can we bring that to something cooler for the customer? Mm. Um, and I guess in store, there's always the opportunity for another sale. So in conversation with whoever you're collecting your goods from, maybe you yeah. want to try it on, um, you know, you might get a, some shoes to go with those track pants or yeah. whatever, whatever. I mean, we have that, so our listeners can't see it, but I'm not wearing socks in my shoes, so wouldn't it have been great the store I bought those shoes if, if they would have also had some socks that could take, uh, just take away straight away? You're absolutely right. And I actually think from a conversation we had prior to us going recording, you need a puncture repair kit too. Yeah, exactly, because I think also here the listeners don't know we were talking about my Reebok shoes and our dog had actually bitten one of them and now the air is always flowing out. You need to pump them, so yeah. <laughs> I'll get them, uh, get you a new pair. So you're going to be walking down the corridor with a slight lean to one side. To the right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So when we think about uh, stores, you know, does the concept need rethinking? Um, you know, how do we balance this kind of competing needs between you know, functional distribution and experiential retail? Yeah, I think uh, it also here comes down more to a bread and butter topic, first of all, because I think the first thing that prevents the store from being experiential, as so many people say, is margin. Um, and therefore, this is where I think connected retail makes a huge difference, because we're bringing the revenue back to the store, then you earn more. And once this is there, then the money can be used to do certain things around, I think, service, uh, curation, advice, inspiration. Maybe you could even go a bit more beyond like this and talk about the things like entertainment. Mm. And I was in a fascinating conversation with a brand earlier this morning, and, and actually, I, I love what they said. And they were pretty honest enough to say, look, we did the conventional thing. We thought we need a new store. We went and found some architects and store designers, and we told them about their brand, and yeah. they said... And they gave them the vision of what good looks like and what they should build. Yeah. And they built it. But what they found was that because it wasn't discussed with their colleagues, yeah. uh, the colleagues and their journey with the customer, some of the service and interaction needs that they have, yeah. it was a complete mismatch. Yeah. So for me, I think um, what you're saying here is, is that actually, yeah, physical retail has a place. Yeah. But you've got to really work at the detail to get it right. Exactly. I think you, I would probably add you need to work at the economics in order to have the room to work on the details. I think that's absolutely right. And... Uh, Ultimately, I think we also need to revisit the concepts that were presented over the past 10 years. No? So you saw a lot like uh, this is a social space and becomes a restaurant, but is it a restaurant or a shop then anymore? So I think it's really working that out. But in, I think the, the good news is with Connected Retail, I think we brought like a lot of hope and forward-looking thinking back to the high street. And I think this is what excites me a lot, that the retailers are really innovative in their thinking now. Yeah, and we've got lots of ideas. Now it's just about perfecting the mix and getting the balance right. 
yeah, I think if you uh, if you go walk away from the customer experience, but rather think about the economics first of all, where where I was amazed about the innovation that that retailers brought to the table was. We have a tool that brings orders, so demand, into the store. But you need to take decisions, what product do I want to sell? So one of the retailers called his brother and said, hey, you work in an IT department, can you help me build a tool on top of this connected retail thing to take smarter decisions? So they called data, they put it all in algorithm, and now they optimize the prices with this. And this is the innovation that they're putting, first of all, into the online business in their store now to optimize this, gain the margin, and with the margin do something cooler. And I think this is how it works. And for many retailers, this is part of, uh, I guess, the biggest challenge, really, of how, how do you get the profitability? More often than not, they have the right stock. You know, they've done a good job in terms of buying the assortment. Yeah. But the right stock is in the wrong places. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How, at Zalando, are you going about trying to solve that problem? Probably sound a bit like um, as if I'm uh, on a missionary mission here. Um, but ultimately, um, if you think about the stock being in the wrong place, that only means that the demand isn't where the stock is. So we're bringing now the demand to the stock, and that's it. So with the, with the tool we built, we can forward orders from 40 million, uh, 48 million customers and more to this store for delivery in a given country. So this is about kind of smart forecasting and really starting to get almost ahead of what the demand will likely be. Kind of even though it makes it easier because with uh, demand you need to forecast and there's a certain error margin you will have. But uh, this way you're exposing your assortment as, for example, a shop owner to a lot of people. And the example that I'm always bringing is a, neo yellow, a neon yellow jumper that normally you wouldn't put on the racks because nobody buys it in your store. No? So the likelihood is small. But if you expose it to a lot of customers online, likelihood is actually relatively high. And with that, the, the spillover effect is you suddenly have a new yellow jumper in your store. The customers come in and say, wow, it's like a cool assortment uh, that inspires me. And I think this is how this all makes the shopping experience on the high street also better. Mm. So, so within all of this, you know, there's been much more of a move to um, direct to consumer. Yep. And how do you think that you, know, you are helping support brands' ambitions there to kind of grow their presence, grow their business, all of those things? Yeah. I think that's a very good question. I mean, ultimately, the things that you struggle with when you're on that journey as a physical retailer, you, first of all, need to have not only the product, but also the content. So we need to help them to get the content, like pictures of the products that really click, then that helps. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is if the content is there, you need marketing in order to put demand on that specific product. Right. Um, and there we also can help them. No? So, so you can provide expertise at all of these key touch points along the exactly. way. Exactly. That's yeah. the beauty of it. No? So when you look at the journey of Zalando, <clears throat> it started in 2008. Uh, 2008. Um, and during that time from then till here, we actually worked along the entire value chain to build a profitable business. And that is everything uh, what is, which is in this Zalando machine we're now externalizing for the retailers. And that is a good example. So marketing, we can help them to acquire customers on the Zalando platform. And I think if you uh, think about it a bit more forward-looking into the future, uh, with, for example, Click and Collect, we're also generating footfall for their store. So that also helps them if we bring the people that we don't have that today 
but in the future we will we will consider to build also that. Well, one of the practices, I guess, which has been ingrained into successful retailers of, over generations is this kind of routines and rituals of, of walking the store, yeah. identifying what's working, what's not working, and where they can make improvements. Yeah. How, how much time do you think, or could more time be spent by brands looking at their own websites? Because certainly from my perspective as an experience as a consumer, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that as I'm shopping, hmm. that I see things like, why wasn't that color better? Yeah. Or why didn't they show that detail? Or actually, if you're trying to sell me a shirt, why am I looking at the trousers and the sneakers at the same time yeah. when the image ends up being so small I can't understand the main product? It just seems to me that perhaps in the drive to get stuff online, people aren't looking hard enough at actually what's up there and does it actually make it easy to shop? Yeah. It is, I mean, that's a multi-year journey and it never ends. That's, that's the, uh, the sad truth to it. So I think we as Solano would also be humble now. So I think we built this business and we have got a user experience. Is it perfect? For sure not. Do you mostly. use consumers to help evaluate the, the way the yeah. site is working? That's great, yeah. And one of the things that really strikes me, and this I think could be where there is real opportunity. And look, I know nothing, so let's just say everything I say next has been complete rubbish. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you want to now buy an apartment or no, spend, I'm curious. Yeah, spend some serious money buying you know, uh, a new piece of real estate, yeah. there's so many new online tools that can actually literally walk you through through right. the front door, through every room, give yeah. you a full 3D uh, 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 virtual uh, reality perspective of, yeah. that, of that. Before you even need to make a commitment to make a booking and drive from one city to the next. So good. What, what really fascinates me is, is why online shopping has become this almost logical category selection based. Yeah. It's not an experience. This yeah. is like getting a library book. I mean, it is very efficient. And I think this was also like the way that the online customers were looking at it because there's so much you can experience that it needed some sort of framework in order to make the customer journey efficient. So it's highly structured, but not necessarily inspirational. One thing in the customer experience that is hard online for customers is, do I get this item in the right size? And that is something that we've been investing in quite a bit to with, to solve this problem with data, so to give you a size recommendation that really fits. And this is live already, so if you shop on Zalando, we would say, mm, this item rather go one, one size higher. Great, then you don't need to return it later on, at least it will fit. So, progress is not perfection, you know, we've heard it many times before. Yeah. But of course, getting it right uh, more times than not matters more than ever. Mm -hmm. How do you square that in Zalando and I guess you know you know people again talk about you know it's okay to fail all of these kind of buzzwords do you actually use this as kind of philosophies that you build into the culture in terms of how people work and how they come up with new and better solutions I think that we um, have this mindset of if there's a great idea probably you better test out an imperfect version of that relatively early and then you adapt as you go so and test, test and learn. Exactly. And you also decommission it if you realize it doesn't add value or it just doesn't work. Um, and I think this is also how Connected Retail was born. No? So the way we knew kind of there were the stores, 80% of the stock in the industry is in the stores. They are not connected. We're missing an opportunity. So we tested it out with two stores in Berlin already 2015. It worked so-and-so, but you could see that it could work. So we got it a bit more right. Still kind of was not perfect in the stores. They had a cumbersome tooling. Um, but then actually they got a new tooling, which we developed. And suddenly kind of the store was like, hey, it's easy. I, I don't even need to train my people. It's just like using a calculator. Mm. 
Um, and this is how we work around this. And then kind of you go continuous improvement. Mm. So when you, um, you finish a long day, long week, get home for the weekend, and much as you try as you might, you want to switch off. Yeah. What are those burning platform issues that keep you awake at night? I think, oh, come Monday, this is going to be part of the team meeting. This is something we've got to fix. I think the one thing I really want to solve now is the return issue. And that is like probably the biggest issue in online retail. Um, and we are piloting to like the point that you made earlier around like testing things out. We're piloting now this solution that the returns that would normally go back to the stores are now going to our warehouse. And this way we're just substantially reducing the cost um, also because the item is then stored in our warehouse and once it is sold again, it flows from our warehouse with other items in the same box. So it's I, I have to tell you a story here about why that is such a good thing to do. So a couple of weeks ago, mm -hmm. I bought um, a couple of items from uh, a very big UK retailer. Uh, a retailer How dare you? Yeah, I know. There's I know. a German platform that you could have leveraged. But, but look, <laughs> I'm, I'm very brand loyal, so I, I'm stuck with the program that far. So the items arrived, I liked the items, but actually they were poor quality. Oh. And actually there are two quality issues on the same item, because I bought two of the same things, as I said before. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty consistent in my behavior. <laughs> and actually these were genuine quality problems. This is not just me as a picky customer. Yeah. Now, last weekend, I had the pleasure to go into this particular store and was browsing and I was being all experiential and I wanted to have the service. Yeah. And what did I find on the shelf? The two things which I had returned back to the store as quality defected oh. out on display. Oh. So for me, there was something here about the process. Ultimately, the process had failed. And it goes back to what you're saying around, yes, you could return things as a customer back to the store. That yeah. makes it nice and easy. Right. But actually, if there's a process there that isn't working around what was the reason for the return? Was it just not wanted? Or yeah. was it actually a quality yeah, issue? Yeah, yeah. Well, a quality issue should not have allowed those goods to find their way back into the store. What do you do within the platform to make sure that the consumer, if they do get some fails like I have, I mean, I must have just been a very yeah. unlucky guy, I think. Yeah. How do I you ensure so. that trust is, is kind of within the process and that consumers, you know, more often than not, get a good experience? Yeah, I think there's multiple instances in the customer journey that actually creates trust or destroys trust. So one of the key things is how you handle the money. No? So, for example, you return your item, but you would need to wait like six weeks for the, for the, for the reimbursement. You would be very unhappy about that. Um, so that is one thing that we have placed even an entire company on, our payment services. They do nothing else than making sure that you get your money back as fast as possible in conjunction with our customers. I think yeah. that's such a great thing. And, and again, talking with friends, I know that you know, when people are um, dissatisfied, you know, some of the first things that I said in conversation is, well, they'll take my money quick enough, yeah. but actually if it's a problem, they're much slower to get it back. Exactly. Yeah. And you need to flip that around, I think. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Um, I think that's one thing. The other is when you say that you deliver on day X, you want it on that day. And that is something that we make very sure also with our retailers. And to be honest, they are super. No? So they are faster sometimes than any warehouse is just because they're closer and because they really want it. So I think this is yet the next so thing. So reliability and integrity, all of these things matter. Exactly. I think so too. I think this online experience, you also need to optimize in order to build trust. So if I see this product looking like this, I want to get exactly this because I, I've chosen it. And this is something where we have our studios that produce all the photos of, of our products, like thousands and hundreds of thousands a year. 
Um, and they make very sure that you get like a, a, the right impression of the product and an inspiring impression of the product. Mm. I think that also builds trust. I, I can see, just from talking to you, that you're a man who not just believes in what you do, but you care about what you do. Yeah. So what is one of your most proudest moments? You know, the things that you say, you know, we did that yeah. whilst you've been at Zalando. Can I have two cars? Of course. So one was, um, which I will never forget, was when... So pandemic isn't over, no? So, but um, we have all those retailers that joined us during the pandemic. And when we had a meeting in Berlin, the first time in person in around October last year, we had all the discussions about how to make the model better because we build it in partnership. So it's their model. We also said it's your house, like treat it as your house. We will build it together. And at the end, somebody says, hey, thank you for these two days. But one thing we want to say, thank you so much that you saved our lives during the pandemic. And that was like, so... That was really the, the one thing that, that really made my day. I'm sure. Uh, or my year. Um, so that's the one. Um, and the other thing is, if I see how proud our retailers are that they are partnering up with us on this, that they say, this feature here in the tool, that was our idea, and they built this together with us for everybody. When they say that, you feel like, wow, it's really kind of, it's a club, no? So we're not like the big Zalando and the small retailer. We're a lot of really cool retailers and a cool Zalando being like a good team. And of course, all of that kind of positivity breeds further success, doesn't yeah. it? You know, they will also have their own communities, their own uh, other brand friends and partners. Exactly. And of course, when they, you know, can say positive things about the work that you do together, mm -hmm. it can only be a good thing. I think so too. And it's, as you say, you know, so ultimately you build trust, not only with customers, but specifically with partners, because they are putting their people and their, uh, yeah, their lives behind this. You know? So if we fail for them or with them, then it also hits their business quite hard, because they bank on it. And I think, therefore, it has to be at the core of what we do and how we think that we are reliable partners. Thank you so much, um, Carsten. It's been a wonderful conversation and thank you for your energy and for your wonderful responses. Thank you so much, Carl. Same here. You've been listening to the Retail Exchange podcast. Subscribe online at theretailexchange.co.uk and join the debate on Twitter. Hashtag Retail Exchange. Thanks for listening. <laughs>